Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. The interesting times to be on planet Earth continue. These are challenging times, intense times, also amazing times filled with opportunity. And my intention in today's session is to be able to inspire you into deeper levels of your greatness so that you can tap into the opportunity that the universe is uh, bringing into your life in this moment. Uh, my guest today is a very special human being. I had him on uh, maybe a couple of years back when Soul Talk uh, uh, first began. It was a definitely an, an enlightening interview. I'd read many of his books. He's the author of 40 books, if not more at this point. If you haven't read his books, his books are truly incredible. The Breakthrough Experience, Count Your Blessings. Uh, what else? The Values Factor. I mean, the list goes on. The man is a fount of knowledge, so please get your pens, papers ready. You're going to take tons of, tons of notes. He's considered one of the world's leading authorities on human behavior and personal, personal development. The legend, the amazing John Martini. Welcome. Good morning, afternoon, whatever it is over there. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for coming back on. I've been looking forward to this interview. My last one, uh, people loved it. Uh, we're going through some, you know, unusual times right now on planet Earth. And I really want to be able to dive in, extract some of your wisdom to help people navigate what we're going through. I mean, a lot of folks are, are dealing with anxiety and fear, fear for their futures, freaking out, going crazy. Maybe some are suicidal. Some want to give up on their dreams and visions. So I would love for you to, I would love to hear your thoughts on just what the hell is going on on planet Earth? Like, do you have a perspective? Do you have sort of like a, a viewpoint, a perspective as to what we are experiencing as a species, as a humanity that might shed some light and give us some understanding on what is unfolding on planet Earth? Because it's just, it seems like it's one thing, it's the next thing, it's the next thing, and it just, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Well, I don't know. I, I, uh, I believe that it's not what happens to us on the outside. Mm. It's what we decide to perceive, what we decide to do with it, <clears throat> how we do it, what we, actions we take. Mm -hmm. I don't believe there's anything that has one side. You know, it's like a head and a tail, two poles of a magnet. Mm. So every event that we perceive, if we choose to subjectively bias our perceptions mm. and selectively be attentive to only one side, the side we see is going to impact the way we perceive and decide that. So if we perceive drawbacks without benefits, negatives without positive, losses without gains, challenges without opportunities, then we're going to react with our sympathetic fight or flight response and go into our amygdala instead of our executive center where creative solutions arise and go into avoid pain, seek pleasure and look for immediate gratification to compensate for the unfulfillment. And I don't find that very productive. I find that's, being a victim of history, not a master of destiny. And you'll end up running a story instead of making history. I'm a firm believer that everything has those two sides, and it's our responsibility to dig deeper beyond the first superficial glance of an event. And if we see terrible, go dig and find the terrific. If we see terrific, dig and find the other side too, terrible. If we can be infatuated with an idea and blind to the downsides, or we can be resentful to an idea or an experience and blind to the upsides. Mindfulness is seeing both sides. Mm. 
when we divide our mind up into conscious and unconscious halves and become ignorant of one half, the world on the outside extrinsically runs us. But if we dig deeper, probe through the mystery, penetrate the illusion, and find the both sides and center ourselves, we go into the executive center where we get creative ideas and we get solution orientation instead of problem mystification. And that's where we have more certainty instead of uncertainty. We can never have certainty with a one-sided view. So I'm a, I'm a believer that immediately when we have an event that we perceive to be challenging is to look at the benefits and look at the upsides. And most people don't want to do it. They want to run their story. Right, right. But when I saw pictures of uh, New Delhi, India, where I could see the mountains for the first time in 35 years mm. because the pollution had dropped because of the traffic dropping. When I saw Los Angeles having um, the cleanest air in 18 years. When I saw the space station's view of the earth cleaning up the atmosphere, changing the atmosphere. I said, there's one benefit right there. When I saw all the humor on the internet that was coming out March and April, mm. incredible humor, people taking a, making their tragedies comedies. I saw the lightness and the power that a human being can take these challenges and turn them opportunities. When I saw the massive amount of people that went on Zoom and moved their business into Zoom and moved their business online, I saw a catalytic transformation and progression from an old way to a new way that's more efficient. When I saw people figuring out that they can get by on much less in space and a lot of businesses, they're going to be more efficient. And even though they're going to have a temporary setback, it's the slingshot effect that's going to release it into a greater opportunity. And so now they'll figure out they can do things at lower overheads, lower cost, and disperse and save on transportation. People can work out of their homes. And there's many things that have emerged. I have a list of about 12,000 benefits that have come out of the corona. I call it St. Corona. 12,000. 12,000 benefits. Wow. Now, that's, that's because of my – I have millions of students around the world, so they send me their benefits because I, I sent out, I said, this is the time to look for the other side. And um, they did, and they sent them in, and so we accumulated them. And they were just enormous. And I started, and they're not all in one file, but they're just, they just kept coming in. But it's a massive. So I'm not a, I don't believe that this is a crisis. I don't, I don't see crisis. It's not a crisis. I don't see it a crisis. Oh. I see it as an event. I found a long time ago that when you meet somebody, um, let's say you meet yourself. If I walked up to you and I said, you are always nice, never mean. Always kind, never cruel. Always positive, never negative. Always peaceful, never wrathful. Always giving, never taking. Always generous, never stingy. Always considered, never inconsiderate. And I saw only one side of you. And I said, that's, that's who I think you are. Your own intuitive psychostat would intuitively whisper, not exactly. <laughs> You would know. Mm. You would know inside that that's not the full you, one-sidedness. Mm. If I said that you're always mean, you're never nice, you're always cruel, you're never kind, you're always negative, never positive, always wrathful, never peaceful, always inconsiderate, never considered, always stingy, never generous, always taking, never giving, etc. You would immediately go, no, that's not true either. Because mm. I can think of times intuitively where I've been just the opposite of whatever you said about me. Mm. But if I said to you, sometimes you're kind, sometimes you're cruel, sometimes you're nice, sometimes you're mean, sometimes you're positive, sometimes you're negative, sometimes you're both sides, you would immediately have certainty. Mm. And that's called objectivity. Objectivity means even-minded. Right. So the moment you see things past the subjective bias, which is a survival thinking, and go into an objective view, which is a thrival thinking, cognitive, uh, different level of cognition, mm. a metacognition. The moment you do and you see both sides, you're centered again. You're not distracted because anything we infatuate or resent occupies space and time in our mind and runs us. Right. We've all been infatuated and could hardly sleep at night. We've all been mm. resentful, hardly sleep at night. But when we're poised and we're feeling graced and love and we're inspired and we're prioritized and we're productive, we sleep and rest well. How do, 
how, how, do, how does someone even get beyond the sort of subjective bias? Because I think that when we're in it, we don't even know we're in it because that's reality, right? That, that's just the way it is. It's how I see it. It's the way life is. So we don't even know it's subjective. We just think it's how it is. And so reality is that which we realize through our senses. Mm. And actuality is what's actually there. And we all filter our reality according to our values. So each of us see a different world. You know, to the person who's having a drought growing corn, um, they see it as devastation. Right. A woman who is having a marriage on that same day and a drought is a perfect thing they want. They want a sunny day for the wedding. Yes. So one man's hell is another man's heaven. <laughs> So there's nothing out there until we, with our narrow-mindedness and subjective biases, label things, mm. except an event. The question is, is, how do we want to interpret that event and use it to our advantage? I'm a firm believer in asking the quality of your life is based on the quality of questions we ask. If we ask the question, why is this happening to me? We, we don't go as far as we go, how specifically is what I perceive happening helping me fulfill what is most important to me in my life? How specifically is what I'm experiencing helping me fulfill my mission of service to humanity? How specifically is what I'm experiencing uh, creating innovation and bringing out of me an expansion of my awareness and potential to serve ever greater numbers of people? If I ask those questions, I will take this so-called external world and then turn it into an internal dream. So it's just purely... If people believe what they see on the outside more so than what they dream about and focus on on the inside, they're going to let the external world run them, and they'll be conforming to an illusion instead of informing a solution. So I'm a firm believer in, in, in being authentic because authentic self sees both sides of life, ourselves, and others. We all want to be loved for who we are. Yes. Not for the fantasies that we're being imposed on us, or the expectations that are unrealistic, but for who we are. And life, I think, imagine the world being two-sided. It wants to be loved for the two sides, too. Mm. And I'm I'm firm believer that the research that's going to emerge from this mm. and the catalyst it's going to bring for innovation, we'll look back at it like we saw at one time Hurricane Andrew in Florida. It was devastating Andrew the first year. Mm. And it was later called St. Andrew because of the transformation it did on the development of codes for building, the upgrade in the economy, the job opportunities that came. And so I'm, I'm a firm believer that we have to look beyond our first superficial appearance and discover the hidden order that's in the apparent chaos and honor it by looking objectively and wakening up the greatest part of ourselves and not let the banal part of our own being, our animal nature. So we have the difference between our, ourselves and the animals is we have the ability to find meaning, as Viktor Frankl said in the concentration camps. Yes. We have the capacity to find meaning and order in a way that is constructive. So I don't see it as a crisis. I see it as an, as an experience, and I've used it to amazing benefits. Wow. So I've, I've, I've been able to reach more people more efficiently, Wow. Uh, in more effective ways, um, I've because I have trained people on saving portion of their money and making sure they always have a cash reserve. Mm. I've taken that cash reserve and helped millions of people mm. now invest that at the bottom of the market and make more money than they would have made if they had been working. Uh -huh. so, so it's just if you are a, a master has foresight, mm. not just living in hindsight. They live teleological instead of teleonomical. Mm. And they are anticipating objectively both sides and planning and mitigating potential distractions that perturb us mm. and actually act wisely in advance. Mm. And there's no reason we have to run our story and be victims of history. Running your story and blaming things like the external world will only leave you to the fantasy that something on the outside externally is going to save you. Why is it so hard sometimes for people to, because I think many times we know like, okay, I, I, I'm not a victim, but we just gravitate towards that. You know, it's almost like we're conditioned. And so 
for the person who they want to give up victimhood, but life is happening to them is, is, is how they perceive it. How, what can you say to the person they really want to give up victimhood, but they, they just, they, they feel as though they're in a loop, they're in a cycle, they, they just feel stuck and they keep running like this victim pattern and they're, they're mad at, at what's happening and they can't quite get to, to, to acceptance. How can they make that shift? I don't ever want to say that they can't. Mm. I just say that they're choosing not to. Hmm. I've never seen anybody who can't transform. Not, not all the work I've been doing in 47 years, almost 48 years of teaching. What's the key to going from, I'm choosing not to, to, to making that shift? Is, Stop, is, is the story. Stop the story and make history. <laughs> so here's what you do. You're either going to be following the crowd or leading the crowd. It's up to you. Mm. And the herd is usually not the ones that are the leaders. There's usually the one. They're not, you don't find the herd being the Nobel Prize winners, the mm. Olympic medalists. It's the leaders that do that. And the distinction between them is they get clear on what is priority in their life. Because we have a set of values, a set of priorities in our life. If we fill our day with high-priority actions that inspire us, our day doesn't fill up with low-priority distractions that don't. And when we're so focused on the absolute highest priority thing, we maximize our awareness and potential. We become more objective. We become more resilient and adaptable. We expand our space and time horizons to have an overview effect that is unreactive and objective. We tend to walk our talk because we spontaneously are inspired to fulfill whatever's highest on our diet. Whenever we allow ourselves to let the world dictate and decide what we do in a day, instead of taking command and live ontologically, we end up living in other people's expectations deontologically by duty, fitting in, not standing out. We automatically go into our amygdala and go into our, not out of our executive center, into our desire center. And we want immediate gratification. We have a shrunken space and time horizon. We want to avoid pain, seek pleasure. We want the easy path which is never the path of mastery. It's a path of illusion. The Buddha says the desire for that which is unavailable and the desire to avoid that which is unavoidable is a source of human suffering. So looking for a one-sided easy path instead of plowing through and finding the solutions to the challenges. See, leaders pursue challenges that inspire them. Because if you don't fill your day with challenges that inspire you, your day fills up with challenges that don't. Right. Right. And if you don't pursue challenge and inspire you and create you stress, you end up with distress. And if you don't find problems that mean a lot to you that you want to solve, you end up with problems you don't want to solve. Mm. And so if you, you, it's your responsibility to stop and ask, what is the highest priority action I can do right now that can fulfill my most important mission in life? How and does one deter deter determine what the highest priority is? Especially now, I think a lot of people are losing motivation and they we're getting distracted by social media and the news and, and well and if you want to let the social media run your life which i don't yes. i use it to my advantage but i don't let it distract me i don't i don't watch the social media i put things onto the social media mm -hmm. and i make sure it's informative and inspired and make sure that it's going to give them productive you know movement forward you got to ask yourself what are you filling your mind with every day is it the highest priority information you can fill it with because if you don't fill it with the highest priority information, you have no one to look at but yourself or why you're not inspired. If you don't fill your actions with the highest priority actions, why would you be, why would you be blaming someone in the outside? So I learned, I, I, I wrote down, I learned from Mary Kay, from Mary Kay Cosmetics 36 years ago. Wow. I was lecturing in Dallas at the Anatole Convention Center there to about 4,500 women. And I asked her afterwards, because I met with her, what advice could you give a young guy that wants to travel the world and speak and inspire millions of people around the world? And she said, every day, write down the six or seven highest priority things you can do today that can help you fulfill mm -hmm. your mission on earth. So I got out a, an index card, a little index card. And uh, every morning, I kept index cards and whenever I received an inspiring idea, whenever I learned something that was valuable, I put it on those index cards and sorted them home every night and started filling my mind with the highest priority information. Mm. And I asked myself, what is the highest priority actions I can take today 
that can help me fulfill my mission of researching, writing, traveling, and teaching the world. And I wrote them down. And I kept them. And I made sure that they were daily actions, not giant goals that took weeks or months where I had goal overrun and they were backlogging on me and I was feeling defeated. Right. But daily actions, small micro daily actions. You know, piggy banks become biggie banks. Little actions make big dreams. I just did little actions. And I wrote them down every day. And then I made sure I got those done and did not stop till those were done for that day. Mm. And if I had extra time, I put one more down. If I still had extra time, I put one more down. Gary Keller says in the one thing, find that one thing that is most important and stick to the one thing. So I started to do that. And I wrote six or seven of those, usually seven, every day. Mm. And I kept those in a box. And then I went through them and I looked at what they were most consistently over a couple of years. And I realized that there were certain things that I repeatedly had as the highest priority, highest priority repeatedly showing up, which showed up as research, write, travel, and teach. Mm. So as a result of that, I decided that I was going to delegate everything but what I'm designed to do, mm. the highest priority things. You cannot live an inspired life doing low priority things. You're not going to live an inspired life unless the highest priority things you do serve people to create a sustainable, fair exchange with equity to have an income, to delegate low-priority things to those people that would be loving to do those. So you're free to low-priority things that devalue you and free to get on with the things that inspire you. So you can't wait to get up in the morning and do a service so people can't wait to get that service. So if you're doing low-priority things, you're going to self-defeat. You're designed to. We are designed to self-depreciate, beat ourselves up, have anxiety, have uncertainty, have fears, the moment we go into lower party things. Mm. So all of the symptoms of our life are feedback mechanisms guiding us to the most authentic, most inspiring, most productive us. So that's why everything is on the way. It's not in the way. So that's why I don't see things as terrible or terrific. They're distractions. I don't search, search for success or try to avoid failure. I find that's futile. I'm a man on a mission and know that both of those perceptions mm. are elusive and feedback mechanisms to guide me to my mission of service. So do you, do you, do you, so I'm hearing it like, so you're living a state of sort of, is it neutrality, equanimity more? Do you, get, do you get excited? Do you get thrilled? Do you, when something amazing happens or do you, do you ever I, get sad? I mean, it, or, or are you just zen the entire time? And tell me a bit about that. Like, what's your internal experience? When I was in my 20s, I got super excited and I got depressed. I was like, man, it depressed. Uh-huh. I learned at my 30, at age 30, after doing a research project for a couple of years on the illusions of positive thinking, mm. I, um, I finally transcended that myth. Mm. And I realized that I wonder what else, Paul Dirac said, the Nobel Prize winner, I wonder what else, it's, it's not that we don't know so much, we know so much that isn't so. I wonder what else I've been told that isn't so. And I realized that equanimity, poise, which was a Stoic and pre-Socratic Greek philosophy, uh, and a Zen are really the same. A Taoist, a Zen, uh, a mystery. Even in Christianity and Judaism, it was finding the equanimity state, which was the spiritual path. Mm. So I don't have any interest in being excited because emotional exuberance screws up investments anyway. <laughs> and business and relationships and everything else you get excited about because you're usually blinded to the downside when you're excited, right. just like you're blinded to the upsides when you're depressed. So I don't have excitements or depressions. I'm inspired. And I, and I don't believe that people realize that they can live an inspired life and center themselves. You know, we, we have elliptical orbits, as Kepler said. And they go elliptically around it. We have perihelion apulae. We get excited and we get depressed. We speed up and we go down. And then we have the sun, which is enlightened. And it's centered. And we can be a planet and ruled by gravity, or we could be a sun and ruled by radiation. I'd rather radiate to the world and have an enlightened state than I would be sitting there gravitationally weighing myself down, being distracted by gravitational influences by other people. I'd rather have, I said on The Secret many years ago, when the voice and the vision on the inside is louder than all opinions on the outside, you begin to master your life. So I prioritize my life. I delegate everything else. I have been fortunate financially because of that, because I learned to do that. I didn't know how to do that until I was 28. At 28, I learned to delegate 
prioritize, delegate, and get to the priorities. And it changed my, my trajectory. Mm-hmm. And today I'm uh, blessed because I learned that art. And I've taught millions of people that art. And the people that do that and apply it, they get the same results. not unique to me. So it is not what happens to us. William James, father of modern psychology, said that human beings can alter their lives by altering their perceptions and attitudes of mind. That was the greatest discovery he made. And we can sit there and let the world run us, but we can run the world. We run the world by asking questions that bring equanimity, and we have the world running us when we have illusions that there's one side. So I can let the animal nature run me, or I can let the angel. The angel is inspired. The animal is despired. Futile versus utile. I'd much rather be utility than futility. Mm. For someone who, let's say, I want to talk about self-doubt because I think a lot of people are, you know, they're dealing with what they perceive as uncertainty in the world and maybe they're going through some self-doubt right now. How can someone who maybe they feel a sense of self-doubt in terms of their own belief in themselves, how can they begin turning that around so they can access, despite what's going on in the world, a sense of belief in themselves? Maybe they feel like, life's falling apart and they're failing and they're feeling a little shaky inside. And so when the world isn't maybe for someone, the world isn't reflecting back to them something positive, so to speak, how can they access a sense of self-belief? Because a lot of, I've heard a lot of people feeling like I've lost my self-confidence during this time and, and my future and everything's falling apart. And so how can no, we- they've lost their fantasy. Ah, good. I like that. Tell me more. Okay. If I was to come in, let's say I was uh, a, a woman about to date you. And um, I'm, I'm, you, I'm assuming you have some girlfriend or some, somebody yes. married. Yes. And the girlfriend mm-hmm. comes up to you and it, let's say she has an expectation on you to be positive, never negative, kind, never cruel, giving, never taking, generous, never stingy, peaceful, never wrathful, supportive, never challenging, considerate, never inconsiderate, honest, never dishonest. She expected you one-sidedness. Can, she, can you see she's setting herself up for betrayal? Suffering, for sure. Okay, because nobody's going to live up to that. People want to be loved for both sides, not for one side. Mm. So if a person, an individual, has a fantasy that they're going to get a one-sided outcome, a pleasure out of pain, a positive out of negative, they're setting themselves up automatically for what I call the ABCDFGHs of negativity, mm. which is anger and aggression, blame and betrayal, criticism and challenge, despair and depression, desire to exit and escape, futility and frustration, you know, uh, grief and grouchiness, hatred and hurt, and insanity and irritation. Okay, so as long as we have a fantasy that we're supposed to be one-sided or other people are supposed to be one-sided or our goals are supposed to be one-sided or life is supposed to be one-sided, we automatically are going to have those ABCDs of negativity. Those ABCDs of negativity are not bad things. They're healthy biological feedbacks to let you know that you're pursuing a delusion. You're pursuing a fantasy. Now, anytime you set a goal that is not aligned with your highest values, you're automatically going to self-depreciate and you're going to have uncertainty. Because anytime you have a monopole polarized perspective, an emotional perspective, you're designed to have uncertainty and doubt and fear. It is designed that way. It's not a mistake. It's not a weakness. It is designed in your physiology to do that, to let you know that you're not pursuing what's truly highest on your value where you're most authentic and you're pursuing fantasies and having unrealistic expectations. You're expecting the world to buy what you have to say without meeting the people's needs. You're expecting to have a company done without the challenges. And anytime you have that or expect to be in a relationship with somebody that lives in your values, as long as you have that delusion, you are designed to get smacked Uh because you're going in a directory and a trajectory in a direction that isn't true. Right. So if you care enough about humanity, you'll find out what humanity actually wants. Mm. Then you'll do what you can to find out what inspires you to fill. And then you'll get clear on meeting those needs because there's some businesses during the Corona that have boomed. Amazon's boomed. Right. Why? Because they saw with foresight and planned before everybody else saw it, where the world's going. Mm. And they took action and didn't make a lot of money initially, but they took action. And then they saw, and then they are the ones that were at the head. Zoom the same way. They saw what's there. And companies that are disruptors, that are foresighting and planning and thinking things out and finding what people's needs are, they're the ones booming in business. 
So when you're not booming in business, it's because you're not caring about humanity to find out enough about what humanity is actually needing and looking for, what's really valuable, instead of your self-righteously, narcissistically proposing, projecting, assuming what the market needs. The second you get back on track with what the market actually is looking for, there's a demand and you're blessed. So it's forcing you to get out of your fantasies and get grounded in reality to what's really wanted and then, and then provided. And if you're resilient and adaptable, which you are when you live by your highest values and you're more foresightful and you plan and, and Alec McKinsey showed very clearly in his time trap, the people who plan ahead go get farther ahead than people that never planned and set goals. So if you're not doing that and you're just ad hocing it, hoping and praying and thinking of some esoteric mysticism is going to take care of you, then you're going to end up floundering until you get grounded on what actually has proven to work. And so your self-doubt is a feedback and a gift. It's going to force you to get grounded, get real, and get finding out what's really actually essential out there and where your real strengths are and to stick to your core competence and build from that and not be a fake. Though you don't just fake it. You need to get grounded and get really an expert in something and become great at something. Find the thing you would tend to be great at and stick to the thing you want to be great at. Mine just happens to be human behavior and teaching. But whatever it is that you want to be the greatest at that and pursue that. And you're, you need to know what your real highest values are because that's where you're going to spontaneously have persistence and consistent actions towards a goal. My highest goal is learning and teaching. I don't need to be motivated. I don't need to be reminded. I never have those. Those, those, are, those are not even realities. I love doing what I'm doing. And there's no reason why you can't do what you love, meeting people's needs, getting paid beautifully for doing that, serving massive number of people and having an inspired life. So there's, you will, no one is going to convince me that's not possible because I've taken too many people who thought that and transformed them and showed them how to do it. Yeah. What, what's the, are there any questions or steps in terms of someone who doesn't know what their values are? Well, they think they know what their, their values are, but clearly they're not happy. So something, there's feedback happening there. How can someone begin to, to really refine what their values are? On my website, there is a complimentary value determination process that takes them about 30 minutes. Mm. I encourage anybody to take advantage of that. Mm. And here's why. If I asked, I was in South Africa and I was speaking to about maybe 5,000 people. And I asked how many would like to be financially independent. It was just a success summit that I was speaking at. And um, every hand went up. People put double hands up. I want to be financially independent. And I had the whole room and every hand was up. Mm. 5,000 people. I said, now, how many of you are financially independent where your passive income exceeds your active income? You don't ever have to work again and you have the money that you'd like to live on and the lifestyle you dream about. Everybody's hand went down except seven. Wow. Less than 1%. That's mm. a fact. Mm. So I said, let me explain something to you. You think you want to have financial independence, mm. but you don't. Mm. And they're all kind of going, well, wait a minute now. Hold on a minute. Said you don't really want it. What you want is the immediate gratifying lifestyle, the rich and famous, buying consumables that depreciate in value so you can blow your money and take your hard-earned money and pay enormous prices for high-pitched brands uh, and erode the potential for your money working for you. And you're a slave to money because you're working for it and it's never working for you. The people that want to be financially independent are the people that buy assets that appreciate in value and work for them. And only seven of you are doing that. Mm. So you want to live in a fantasy or you want to get grounded today? I said, today's D-Day. Determination day of, are you really going to be financially independent or is this a fantasy? 99% live in a fantasy. They don't know what their values are. They think they want something, but they're actually living vicariously through people they admire, injecting the values of others in their mind and creating internal conflicts between what they really value and what they think they should be doing. And they're living in conflict, which is self-depreciating. Mm. And then they don't get into action. And as Einstein wisely said, if you're a cat expecting to swim like a fish, you're going to beat yourself up. And if you're a fish expecting to climb a tree like a cat, you're going to beat yourself up. But if you honor yourself as a cat and your true values, 
you're going to build and you're going to build momentum. So first, take the time to go back to that value determination. It's 13 questions. How do you fill your space? How do you spend your time? What really truly energizes you and brings enthusiasm and inspiration? What exactly are you spending your money on? Be honest. How's it being spent? What do you, where are you most organized? Where are you most disciplined? What do you think about, visualize, and talk to yourself about most about how you want your life that shows evidence of coming true? What do you converse with other people about spontaneously? What really is inspiring to you? And what are people who are common, common to what's people to, what's common to the people who inspire you? What is it you actually have that you've set goals that you have achieved, that you've been consistent on? Nobody has to remind you to do it. You spontaneously do it. And what do you spontaneously want to learn? I want objective data to be able to go and look at what your life is really demonstrating because your, your words mean nothing. Your actions yes. mean nothing. Yes. So identifying what you really value and then starting to get grounded and go, okay, if I want something outside what these values are going to lead me to, I either need to change my values to match my goals mm. or start being real and set goals that match my values. Because if there's no goals and values that are congruent, you have internal conflict and you're going to self-depreciate. Mm. So what I do is I help people find those values and then I help them decide, do you want to shift the values? There's a science for that. You can stack up new associations and shift values, which is pains and pleasures, or you can set goals that match what your values are and quit fighting. Mm -hmm. but most people don't realize it, but they envy other people. They try to imitate other people. They try to be somebody they're not. And they'd be second at being somebody else instead of first at being themselves. That's true. And they're not being authentic. And whenever you're not authentic, the universe smacks you. Any area of your life you don't empower, people will overpower you. So if you're not empowered intellectually, you'll be told what to think. If you're not empowered in business, you'll be told what to do. If you're not empowered in finance, you'll be told what you were. If you're not empowered in relationship, you'll be pushed around in relationship. If you're not empowered socially, you'll be told the propaganda that's not real. If you're not empowered physically, you'll be told what drugs to take and what organs to remove. Not empowered spiritually, you'll be told some dogma that's antiquated, that's not even real. And you'll wonder why you're disempowered, because you're subordinated to the world on the outside instead of superordinated and took on your leadership. Because everybody wants to make a difference, but you'll never make a difference fitting in. You'll make a difference standing out. Wow. But the fear of standing out and being unique is scary to most people wow. because they're going to get ridiculed. And if you're not being crucified, you're not on purpose. To be great mm -hmm. is to be misunderstood. That's part of the journey that transcendentalists have always taught. So having the courage to be yourself, courage means heart. Having the heart to be yourself. At first you'll get ridiculed. Then you'll get violent opposition. Eventually you'll be self-evident and you'll lead the way and change and transform the paradigm, the worldview, because of your presence. And it's the people that consistently live congruently by what they value most that build momentum that's unstoppable that changes the world. Love it. How does someone work with, let's say, they have negative thoughts? You were talking about positive thinking, the limitations, illusions of positive thinking. Uh, we'd love to hear about that. And let's say someone is, you know, they're dealing with negative thoughts that are popping up. You know, I'm hearing it's natural, it's feedback. But when it actually happens, many times people go down a spiral of that negativity and they just end up in a rabbit hole of suffering. And so when the thoughts are arising, is there a way that you have learned to work with those thoughts? How can they, someone practically work with the thoughts that are arising? Sometimes uh, for people, it seems as though I just, I just don't have control over my thinking, I hear people say. So what do they do with those negative thoughts that arise? Your negative thoughts to your friends are not your enemies. They're letting you know that you're not prioritized. Mm. They're letting you know that you're thinking about yourself, not your service. Mm. When you're in the middle of doing a podcast and you're really focused on serving the people out there like you're doing right now, have you had a negative thought since we've been on? Actually, no. You won't. Yeah. You have to be focusing on yourself. If you want to make a difference in yourself, you need a vision and a mission at least as big as your family. If you want to make a difference in your family, you need a vision as big as your community. If you want to make a difference in your community, number one in the community, you need a vision as big as your city. If you want to be number one in the city, you need a vision big as your state or province or prefecture. If you want to be number one in the state, you need a vision big as your nation. If you want to be number one in the state, the nation, you need a vision as big as the world. If you want to make a global difference, you need an astronomical vision. Hmm. Magnitude of space and time in your innermost dominant thought, the real size of your vision will determine what you accomplished in the world. 
So if you're thinking about yourself and you have time to even think about your feelings, you're not focused on what you could be doing and making a difference right. in service. Because right. right now, the moment you go out, imagine if all of a sudden you're into negative thinking and all of a sudden somebody falls down on the street and you run over there and help them. While you're helping them, are you thinking about negative thoughts? No. Because no, you're serving. Right. We have a sensory cortex and a motor cortex. A sensory cortex rewards, but the motor cortex is for service. Serve and deserve. Mm. So we go up in deserving the second we go up in serving. Mm. And so our job is not to negate ourselves, but to do something that absolutely inspires ourselves that makes a difference that serves. Finding that uniqueness, our competitive advantage, as Ricardo says. And sticking to that and building momentum about it, sticking with our core competence and build, building and expand around that, being of service to people. So negative thinking is a feedback to let us know that we're setting out fantasies, we're not being authentic, we're not focusing on our service, we're not in priority, and we're self-depreciating, which is a normal, healthy response as a feedback to guide us to what is authentic, what is priority. It's nothing bad. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not afraid of negative thinking. It's, it's my friend. It's guiding me to make sure I'm taking a 180-degree pathway or at least a 90-degree pathway from where I am. Because right now, if I'm thinking negative thoughts, I'm not thinking about what I could be doing to make a difference. I'm, I'm problem-oriented, not solution-oriented. If you focus on solutions and pre-planned solutions, you don't have time for those. You're too busy making a difference. So you use the negative thoughts, you're saying, not bad, just feedback. feedback. And, but why is there so much talk about, oh, don't have, don't, don't have a negative thought, only think positive, only think positive, only think only positive. Because you're going to attract it to you. You're going to attract it to you. So. Only by people who have been wounded and who are ignorant. Pardon me, but that's just the way it is. I've been, I've been saying this 48 years. Mm. And all the fi- fantasy of being a positive thinking is false. Mm. It is not true. Can I share a research project I did? That please, I, please. This, this is a fun one. So when I turned 18 years old and I moved back from Hawaii, you know, I was a street kid as a kid. Wow. And uh, I, I didn't read until I was 18. Wow. And I, I'm, I was living in Hawaii, uh, riding big waves on the North Shore of Oahu, surfing at 17 where I nearly died. I met a teacher named Paul Bragg right before my 18th birthday. Mm. And he inspired me and made, made it possible for me to think that maybe I could overcome my learning problems. Maybe I could learn how to read someday. Mm. I didn't think I was ever going to read. So I decided after meeting him that I could go out and do something with my life. And I wanted to be intelligent and I wanted to learn. And I had to go back and start reading a dictionary with the help of my mom memorize 30 words a day in order to do that. We practiced 30 words a day until my vocabulary was strong enough where I could read. Wow. It was a slow process, but a rewarding process. Because once I learned I could read, I never stopped. You know, I've been reading over 30,500 books now. And I've constantly read. And the reason being is because I can stand on the shoulders of giants and not have to reinvent a wheel by finding the greatest minds from around the world and, and take advantage of what they've done with their foresight. Once I did that, my parents, not knowingly, bought a book by Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking, three-volume set. Classic. I started reading that, and I started to be a positive thinker. Hmm. Tried to. But I noticed that no matter what I did, there were times when I would just not have it. I wouldn't have positive thinking. I'd be, I'd be negative towards myself or other people or about events. And I thought, what am I doing wrong? Because I'm now having this expectation. Prior to reading that book, if I had ups or downs, I didn't really have much of a reaction to it. I didn't have an expectation. I just kind of went with it. Mm. When I had the book, I had an expectation of always being positive and never negative. So now when I was positive, I got proud and cocky. And when I was negative, I got shamed and I wanted to hide. And I thought, wow, I'm now almost creating a bipolar polarity inside me. Right. And then I thought, okay, every time I would negative thinking, you know, I tried the rubber band popping until I slipped my wrist almost. I tried to cancel that. You know, I tried to avoiding people with negativity. <laughs> you end up by yourself. And then you end up being alone in a forest. You're negating everybody, so you're the most. <laughs> and then I, I thought, okay, I need to learn from the mentor. So I started attending every seminar I could. I saw Norma Vincent Peale live. And he admitted wow. he wasn't a positive thinker all the time. Wow. Then I met to W. Clement Stone. I met Earl Nightingale and his brother. And I met the Zeke, classics. Jim Rohn. I met them all. Tremendous job. I used to lecture with these guys mm. when I was young. And I found out that they were not positive thinkers. That was a facade. Mm. They were human beings, 
and they had downs and I had to help some of them through it, which mm -hmm. I thought was amazing. I'm here coming to learn about positive thinking and they're not positive. I see them screaming and yelling and upset and angry and, I'm, and they're human beings. And as I saw that, I was going, hmm, all the people that are supposedly telling you to be positive thinking aren't. All the ministers and rabbis that I thought were mastering it weren't. And I, I, I met a lot of them. And then I realized I, I'm, I'm just like anybody else. And they're like me. We're no different. Mm. So then I started to go, is this really a fact? Or is this just a fantasy? Is this an ideology, an idealism? Paul Dirac said this. Not that we don't know so much. We know so much that isn't so. Just because somebody says it's so doesn't mean it is. They thought Aristotle's Ptolemaic, you know, when Aristotle had the non-heliocentric system and geocentric system because he didn't listen to Philololus, who was a Pythagorean, he didn't listen to Aristarchus for 2,000 years almost. We had a, a geocentric system that the world based itself on. It limited us. Then all of a sudden, Copernicus reactivated the ancient Greeks and brought in a heliocentric system and opened it up. Thomas Wright saw galaxies and opened us up and opened our minds to a now vast universe. So we were limited in those thinking. We believed it. It doesn't mean it's so. So the question is, I wonder what's so. So at age 28, I did a research project. And um, I set myself up. I, I went to 300 best-selling books in the positive thinking general. Psycho-cybernetics, magic thinking big, your win friends, influence people, how to, you know, everything, all those things. When the toe, tough gets going, tough, going to get tough, you know, that, that kind of stuff. I went through all these books. I even met with Robert Schuler at the time. Wow. And I, uh, I sat down and I took those books and I went through every single page and I took every positive word in those books and I put them on one word per index card and I stacked up 2,000 of the most positive words out of 300 books that I could find in the most positive thinking books. And I expected the most positive words that I could find out of those books. <laughs> put them on index cards in the top left corner so you imagine an index card top left corner of the word and I kept that alphabetically organized until I had 2000 wow and then I sat and I meditated I meditated on each of those words and I thought of the most positive affirmation quotation inspirational quotation I could think of with that word included in it with it bold and italicized inside the quote and I thought of the most Positive, most up <laughs> word and phrase or sentence or affirmation or quotation I could think of. And I compiled 2,000 of them and I published a book called 2,000 Quotes to the Wise, A Day-by-Day -day Guide to Inspirational Living. If you go online, it's still, you can find it online. Wow. And I published this around 83, originally. Then it got published again in 85, 04, and 86. We did 25,000, 25,000. They used it for the subliminal tapes in the 1980s in America, that book. They extracted those, those affirmations. Then what I did, I divided those affirmations up into 365 days. So if you divide 365 into 2,000, it comes out five to six quotes per day. And I made that book. And I decided to start that book at, at January 1st, at December 31st. So there's five affirmation quotations, inspirational messages per day, in a 93-page book, four days per page, 20 to 24 affirmations per page. Mm. That's the book, and I wrote that, and I started to do that. I was studying comparative religion at the time, and I noticed in the East they had Joppa beads of 108 beads, and the West they had rosary beads of 108 beads, so I decided I was going to affirm them 108 times because that's how these mystics put God <laughs> in my head. I'll just put those words in my head. So I decided I was going to make these newbie beads and recite these 108 times a day, each of these quotes, five to six mm -hmm. quotes a day. Mm -hmm. And then I want to know what it did in my, my life. So I started to create a chart called a day-by-day -day cycle forecasting form. Wow. And I took the seven areas of life, spiritual, mental, career, financial, family, social, and physical, and I put 31 days across the page. I took each day and divided it into four quadrants, 7, 11, 3, and 7 a.m. p.m. And then I divided each of the seven areas into plus three and down to plus two, plus one, zero, minus one, minus two, minus three to see the fluctuations of how I felt during the day. And then I basically, and, and, the, and plus three meant I was in spot, you know, intellectually I was sharp or dull. I was uh, mentally, you know, uh, physically I was vital or feeling yucky. Um, you know, each area I had an up and a down kind of thing. 
And then what I did is I started at six something in the morning. I recited the quotes. I memorized the quotes. And I recited them 108 times a day minimum. And I really did 600 to 1,000 affirmations a day. And, I, and then every four hours, a beeper would go off in my office. I'd pull out the form. And then at 7, 11, and 3, and 7, I monitored how I felt in the areas of my life in all seven areas as a result of that affirmation. Wow. Those affirmations. And I did that for two friggin' years. Every two single, years. Two years, every single day, four times a day. It took about a minute throughout the day. Because it was once it's structured, it's about a minute's worth. And I kept records then. I'd been as honest as I could at how I felt during the day. Do I feel inspired or despired? Do I feel sharp or dull? Do I feel uh, successful or failure? Do I feel uh, introverted or extroverted socially? Do I feel close and intimate to my spouse or family or distant? Physically, do I feel yucky or I'm up, vital? And I kept records of those for two years. At the end of two years on a Tuesday, I went through and I got a calculator out, a Texas Instrument calculator, and I went and calculated all the ups and downs and gyrations in each of the seven areas over the two-year period. Mm. And calculated every up and down, so plus three, plus two, minus one, up one, zero, whatever it was, mm. going across for two years. 24 months, 24 sheets. I added them all up and they came out zero. So I made the most consistent, wow. most enduring, most persistent effort to be a positive thinker of anybody I've ever met. I wow. want to know, for all, I'm a scientist. I want to know once and for all, is this really accomplishing what people think? And I can tell you with absolute certainty, it's not, mm. it's a fantasy. Mm. And it sells as opium to the masses. Mm. The fastest way to, to disempower society, to control society, is to promote an idealism that's impossible to live. Because then you feel self-depreciated, and then you become easy to control. Mm. Mm. So the opium of the masses. There are four opiums of the masses. The first one is health without disease. The other one is, is uh, happiness without sadness. The other one is harmony without disharmony. The other one is heaven without hell. And people sell those highly polarized states to avoid this and seek this as an amygdala response instead of an executive objectively understanding both of them. And it's the masses that follow it. And wow. ignorant people live by it. Wow. Wise people know that solution. Yeah. I learned. I never turned back. Yeah. I became stable. I became focused. I became prioritized. I was objective. My accomplishments soared compared to where I was. Mm. And I was banging my head against the wall, setting up fantasies, not setting real objectives, wondering why I was having negative thinking, while I was having volatility, I had bipolar responses, and I was disempowered because I was, anytime I was infatuated and related, I was tending to do foolish things, and when I was depressed, I was doing it. Mm. And you can't manage money if you can't manage your emotions, as Buffett yeah. says. Yeah. And Green says you can't manage society as a leader. Government means one who can govern their own mind, governmentus. Mm. If you can't govern your mind from within, by your intuition and your feedback from your body, You'll be governed from without, from society and theology telling you what to live by politics and religion. So wisdom is turning inward, not outward. Becoming intrinsically driven, not extrinsically pushed. And I'm a, I'm a firm believer that if we fill our day with high-priority actions, we'll be more objective, we'll be more grounded, because you're not a positive person all the time. You're not a negative person all the time. You, you have both. I have both. And so I want to be loved for both. You want to be loved for both. How are you going to be loved for both if you're trying to get rid of half of yourself? How are you going to love other people when you're trying to get half of it? How are you going to love the world? If you, how are you going to love your job if you're trying to get rid of half of it? No. Yeah, you have to become it. When you're living by priority, you're more resilient, adaptable, and objective, and more able to handle both sides. Yes. When you're living by your lower values, you go into your middle and you want to avoid pain and seek pleasure, and you get into polarity. Mm -hmm. So our world has been designed for amygdalas, for immediate gratification, mm -hmm. and for dopamine sales. Mm. instead of wisdom. Mm. You have to decide in your life, you want to be captain of your fate, master of your ship, and be wise, and let love guide your life, or are you going to let your impulsive, uh, you know, extrinsically driven fantasies cause you bipolar condition? I love it. So inspired. I've taken so many, so many notes, so many uh, light bulbs going off. You know, as we, I feel like we could talk forever. You're just a fountain of wisdom all the time, and uh, I definitely would love to have you back for, a part three, um, as we wrap the interview, mm, what are you most excited about during this time we're going through and maybe 
shed some light of that as, as we kind of send people back into the world, especially those that might feel, you know, nervous about things happening and maybe not as motivated. What, what, are, you, what are you most excited about? What do you see as some of the opportunities that are unfolding? You said you had something like, was it 10,000, 15,000, I forget how many thousand, you know, uh, uh, blessings uh, of this time. No, so. no, this is 12,000. 12,000. I love what I do, mm-hmm. which is research and teach. I do it every day. Mm. I work on books every day. I research every day and I teach every day, every day, seven days a week. Mm. And people say, well, why do you do that? You don't have to do it. I'm independently wealthy. I don't have to do anything. I didn't get independent. I didn't want to have financial independence for the sake of financial independence to go and escape. I wanted to do financial independence so I could do what I love and not have to do it. Mm. I want to do financial independence because of philanthropy. When you, when you have meaning, money with meaning leads to philanthropy. Money without meaning leads to debauchery. So what I'm inspired by is doing what I've been doing for the last 47 years. Mm. <laughs> 48 years almost. November will be 48 years. Mm. And continually doing that. And that is to continually grow my, my uh, understanding of the magnificence of the universe. Because I, I believe we live in a magnificent universe. I don't think we, I'm not doomsday or zoom day. I'm an individual that believes that there's a transformation going on, and the master lives in a world of transformation, never the illusions of gain and loss. Mm. They focus on what they can do to make a contribution, and I love doing that every day, and I hope to do that as long as my body. I'm going on 66 soon, and, wow. I, and uh, you know, I, I, I keep a very intense schedule doing what I love doing. If wow. you fill your day with high-priority actions inspire you, it doesn't fill up with things that don't. Mm. So I'm inspired by what I get to do and continue to do it. I'm writing now a I've just, um, I've been working on a textbook. It's about an 800-page textbook on the relationship between man on earth and the sun. Wow. And it's a relationship of what the ancients around the world who honored the sun, because the sun gives us life. Um, it was a journey of the sun. It's called wow. the path of the sun in the ancient times. And what I'm doing is putting into a very advanced modern physics to explain the journey of man's journey to the sun. We're stars in the making. And so this is about that. And it's very advanced to, you know, physics. But it's basically on the journey of our role in this solar system. We started out nomadic individuals in multi-regionals or possibly out of Africa or wherever we started. We eventually became, you know, families, then kinship, then communities, then township, then communities again, and city, and then state, and then nation, and world. Then we started globalizing. Now we're solarizing. Today, in the last two days, China went to the Mars, and the Emirates went to Mars, and we've went to Mars all in the last week or two. Wow. We're off to Mars. We're, we're now solarizing, and someday we'll interstellarizing, and then we'll be galacticizing, and then <laughs> clusterizing. Man's not going to stop. He's going to keep, or she's going to keep going forward. Mm. And so anything I can do to keep doing that, I think that's fulfilling. So I, I do that every day mm. and I, and I love doing that. Then I'm inspired by filling my mind with the greatest ideas by the greatest minds who ever lived and stand on their shoulders and can add some more contribution. Thank you, uh, Dr. John. You, you've definitely been a, a big inspiration for me, especially today. Thank you for sharing your love and light and, you know, I'll be sending you much energy to keep sharing your, wisdom with with many yeah. more i feel like it's just the beginning for you and if they want to get the, the values yeah what's the best way people can find out about yeah. your work just have them go to drdmartini.com awesome. the website drdmartini.com is an educational website they can spend the rest of their life just going on there and learning thousands of articles thousands of interviews thousands of youtubes there's just there's a wealth of information there they could they could it's an education i'm here to educate awesome Thank you for coming on to Soul Talk. It's a pleasure having you back. Folks, I told you this was going to be a, a special interview. This man is a treasure. I think he's a fount of knowledge. He's written over 40 books, and uh, I'm excited about the next book, Dealing with the Solar the solar System, Our Connection to the Sun. And folks, send me, uh, as you know, send me an email, kublaxton at kublaxton.com. I love hearing your comments. I would love to know your key takeaways from today's session. Let me know what you got. Make sure you download. Make sure you subscribe. You know, Dr. John, before you go, could you assign a homework assignment to those listening in? One thing that they could immediately do right now to go and apply 
something that you said into their lives so it's actionable, not just, you know, up in, in the mind? Yeah. First thing in the morning, ask what's the highest priority action step I can do today that can make the greatest difference in the world mm. that is fulfilling me and my mission. At the end of the day, write down at least one, if not many, of the greatest gratitude thing you are most grateful for for today. And keep an, an ongoing list of a gratitude. I have thousands of pages of gratitude, 25 volumes of gratitude books, mm. a lot of them, mm. and, um, and also priorities. Stick to priorities during the morning, and you'll end up with gratitudes in the day. At the end of the day. Amazing. Folks, you heard it. Dr. John Martini, homework assignment. Uh, gratitude in the evening, priorities in the morning. Send me an email. I want to know how this homework assignment goes for you. Also, make sure you spread this uh, episode with everyone you know. I feel everyone would benefit from uh, Dr. John Martini's wisdom. We'll also post uh, the link to his website in the show notes. Check it out. I'm a big fan, and I think you can see why. Until next week, sending you much love, everybody. Big hugs. Love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.